Our scripture reader is taken from 1 Peter. Just a little change in the reading here. I'm going to go back into the first chapter just to read a few verses which certainly flow into the second. Because as Peter is writing this epistle, is writing to those Christians who were scattered throughout the problems of Pontus, Glacia, Cappadocia, and Asia, Bithynia because of affliction, and they're scattered. But he's encouraging them to remain faithful to the word of God in a sense. He's saying what they are and what they are to do. So let us just uh, begin to read in the first chapter at verse 22 of First Peter. I think that's on page 1014, page 1014, 1014. In the Black Bible. So at verse 22 of 1 Peter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in sign a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And amen. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading from his own word. Well, this morning we're going to consider the topic that God is good. God is good. We read here in this second chapter of 1 Peter at verse 13, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
I'm sure you've heard fellow Christians say, God is good. And surely, you have said, God is good. Maybe you've said it many times during the day, or think about it, and say it when the sun rises. You can say, God is good. When the rain falls on the new grass or the new flowers that are springing up. When you eat your meal, it goes on and on and on. You can say, God is good. When the children pray with their friends, I'm sure they might think, God is good. And when the children play with their toys or when they are having fun together, enjoying their pets, on and on it goes. Because truly, God is good. God is good. And he's especially good to those who have a special relationship with him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as a child of God. The psalmist, you know that psalm quite familiar with that psalm, Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Certainly as a child of God, that's where you're going. Throughout the Bible, as you read the Bible over and over again, you hear that God is good. How many times do we hear it there in the first chapter of Genesis that God is good? His goodness, the goodness of God. As we consider the goodness of God, considering one of his attributes or his characteristics, because God as a person has, has a character, has characteristic. He's good, he's holy, he's righteous. And those characteristics or those attributes of God are the communicable attributes of God. In other words, he passed them on to his children that we might be holy, that we might be righteous, that we might be good. But then there's also the incommunicable attributes of God. He's eternal, he's self-existence, he's unchangeable. We're not like that, and we'll never be like that. But when we think about the goodness of God, considering the goodness of God, that we might consider how good he really is. And three points I want to consider this morning as we think about the goodness of God. God is good for his creation. God is good to his children. And God is good in all circumstances. So he's good for a creation. He's good to his children. He's good in all circumstances. First, God is good for his creation. Now, as we read this text in 1 Peter, he's not thinking about the creation as such. He's thinking about salvation. And we're going to get, we're going to, get to that. But first, as we think about the goodness of God, we can think about his goodness for creation. He's good. As he speaks about creating all things, he says everything is good. After he creates one thing, it's, and it was good, and it goes on and on and on. After six days of creating, he saw everything he made, and it was very good, because God made it. God who made everything, made everything good. He makes the animals, he makes man, he makes everything. He is the creator of all things. And he supplies for the needs of every living creature. It's interesting you know, if you read through that first chapter of Genesis, he talks about everything is made. And then he talks about man, and I'll provide food for him. And he talks about the beast, and I'll provide food for them. 
See, He provides. He creates and He provides. God is good to all and His mercies over everything is made. In Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16, the eyes of, the, of, of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the needs of every living creature. That's God who made us and provides for us. He sustains us. He made everything by His word. He spoke it into existence. Out of nothing, he made everything. But also he, he provides us. He sustains us even by that same word. He sustains his creation by his very word. Everything he made, he sustains. He looks after it. Not like a watchmaker. A watchmaker, you've heard that illustration. Like the watchmaker makes a watch and winds it up and he leaves it to itself. It looks after itself. Not when it comes to man. He makes us. He looks after. He cares for us. He sustains. He provides for every living creature. That's our God. He's great. And he's a supplier. He's a provider. Does he not send the rain and the snow? Does he not make the sun rise and set? He does that. Even for the evil and for the good. We know that he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. God does it. No, it's not Mother Nature. You know, that's, that's an insult to God. When the mother, weatherman says Mother Nature, he's insulting God. He's rejecting the God who sends the rain. He's the one who sends the rain. God does that. You go back to the book of Job, you know, when Job is there going through his struggle. Job makes a statement about God. When he mentions about God, he says... Say to the snow, fall on the earth. Say to the snow, fall on the earth. God does it. He sends the rain. He sends the snow. He makes the sun to rise. He sustains all things. God in his benevolence looks after all he has made. Oh yes, he sends the storm. He sends the calm. He is God. He's the creator, holds all things, he sustains all things. Look to the heavens. Everything is still there. Not one star is missing. As he said, he made all the stars. He named them one by one. And not one star is missing. That's our God. He says to the waves, this far and no further. He controls everything. He is in control of all things. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He owns it all. Little bird that falls from the sky does not fall from the sky apart from the will of our Father in heaven. He cares for all things. He made all things and He cares for all things. God is our Creator and He's good. God is good for His creation. But more than that, you know, especially in a spiritual way, God is good for His children. He's good to His children. That special blessing that not everybody have. Those in darkness do not acknowledge the goodness of God. They don't really acknowledge the goodness of God. Peter is writing to those who know God, who have been purified. As we said there, reading from that 22nd verse of the first chapter, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth and so on, He's writing to those who have been converted, are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's writing to them to let them know that they should grow more and more. 
He says there in verse 3 of that chapter, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, God is good to his children. He's good. Those converts he's right into there who have purified themselves. You see, if indeed you've tasted that God is good, can also emphasize the fact that you have tasted. It's a done deal. You've tasted. Matthew Hender writes in his commentary when he refers to this verse, if indeed you've tasted. He is saying since that, or for as much as you have tasted. It's a past tense. It's tasting and seeing that God is good. It's, some, it's, a, it's initial tasting. It's that first taste of the word of God. And by that first taste, you realize that God is good. You understand the fact the Lord is good. He's making reference to Psalm 34 when he's speaking this verse. Because Psalm 34 says, taste and see that God is good. Or taste and see the Lord is good. Here Peter is saying, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, since you have tasted, it's a done deal. You have tasted. The old is gone, the new has come. You sing new song, we might say, to the Lord. Because we see there in verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You can also say, having put it away. Because as a Christian, we have put it away. And we see the righteousness of Christ. We are in that position as in Christ. We've tasted and we're in Christ. We've put it away. The point is, as a new child of God... You put that away. You're a child of God now. And he says, like newborn infants, long for the spiritual, pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The old is gone. The new has come in that initial tasting that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that? You know, people can read the Bible over and over and over again. You can be in church over and over and over again and hear the word of God, but you've not tasted it to the saving of your soul. You've not tasted it to the saving of your soul. The word can be preached. You hear it. I like the message. But have you tasted the word of God? Can you say that God is good to your soul? Has he blessed your soul to the salvation of your soul? Are your sins forgiven and washed away through the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ? See here he says, like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation, or grow up in your salvation, as infants, as babies longing or even craving for the pure spiritual milk. That spiritual birth that changes things, a new creation in Christ, taste that God is good. And it's pure spiritual milk. You use the word here, pure. It's not watered down. In the Old Testament, sometimes they'd water down milk or the watered down wine or whatever it might be. There was a watering down. This is not watered down. This is pure. This is the truth. There's no compromise in here. You're not saying, well, I believe this part of Scripture, don't believe that part. No, it's all God's Word. It's His truth. It's His Word. Pure spiritual milk. That's what we need. Pure spiritual milk. Craving for it. Longing for it. Indeed, tasting and wanting more and more 
of the word of God. You know, I'm sure you've heard it said, the Bible will keep you from sin, but sin will also keep you from the Bible. Store your word in my heart, the psalmist, that they might not sin against you. We need that very word of God. We need to feast on that word to, to know the blessing the Lord has for us as we look to him as newborn babes or as new infants. You could, you could use the word here as newborn babes or newborn children. It doesn't mean somebody who's young. It means somebody young spiritually. You could be 60 before you really come to taste and see that God is good. And then you're an infant. You're just beginning on that road to grow to maturity. And Peter wants them to grow to maturity. He wants them to grow more and more, feeding on the very word of God. To know that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. And how do they do that? It's through the very word. You see that's what Peter is saying here in the previous chapter. How the word has changed them. Verse 23. Since you have been born again. Not by perishable seed. But by imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God born again through the very word of God as the word of God is preached you recognize your need for the Lord you recognize you're a sinner and you need to come to Christ to take away your sins you need that the very word of God and it is imperishable it's abiding forever enduring forever the very word of God that's what we need that's what the blessing is To take away sin. He mentions that of course. In these verses here. Put away malice and so on. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second epistle of Peter. He's emphasizing that you might grow in your faith. Add to your faith. And the first thing he says there. In the second chapter. Second Peter in the first chapter. says, Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness knowledge and so on. Add to your faith, grow. As you study the word, as you look to the word, tasting and seeing that God is good. How we need it more and more. To feast upon the word, we need the word. We need to be in the Bible, reading the word, and hear what God has to say to us, hearing his voice. There are many voices out there today, aren't there? Many words we hear, but are you hearing God's word? Are you listening to him? Are you tasting and seeing that God is good? Because the psalmist says, Oh, the word of God is sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God is sweet, sweeter than honey to my mouth, the psalmist says, because he's tasted, he knows of the goodness of God. You see, it's the beginning when you've tasted and you grow more and more, continually feeding upon the very word of God, knowing that God is good, Psalmist says in Psalm 25, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He instructs us in the way. He leads us in paths of rights for his namesake. He instructs us in the way that we are to go. Sometimes we might think we should go a certain way and we can go the wrong way, can't we? But we have to hear the Lord and follow in his ways. He provides for our physical needs. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield his harvest. He'll give us our spiritual blessing. And he'll provide for our physical needs as well. That our cups might be overflown and blessed of the Lord. 
He gives us all we need. He'll meet all our needs according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you're a child of God today through faith in Christ, you're richly blessed. You truly are. Because God has been good to you spiritually. And his word certainly will bless your soul as you truly look to him because he came and dwelt among us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And by his wounds we have been healed, Peter says later on. That once for all blessing we have in him. God is good. And the very fact that God is good, we're to be good. But we're not good. The Bible says no one is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. No, not one. All the righteous filthy rags. But the Bible says we're to be good. It's a paradox. What do we do? Well, what did the good teacher do? Or the, what did uh, the ruler said when he came to Christ? He said, good teacher, what must I do to, to enter heaven or gain eternal life? No one is good except God only. Jesus said. Well, how can we be good if no one is good except God only? No one is righteous. All our righteous filthy rags. Some might say, well, I have a good neighbor. He's good and kind. He does good things. Maybe so. But what's the motivation for that? What's the motivation for doing that good or being that kind? Is it to honor God? Who knows the heart? Only God knows our hearts, really. But if it's not for the praise of God, it's not doing good spiritually. So what do we do? Uh, God looks at our hearts. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at our hearts. It's not for the praise of man, but it's for the praise of God. See, once you've tasted that God is good, he's changing you. He's communicating his goodness to you. He's making us what we ought to be as followers of Christ. We're to be conformed to the image of his dear son. You're being made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's making you new that you might do what's good. That you might do the good thing that you are to do as followers of Christ. Oh, put away, he says, malice and deceit, hypocrisy and so on and slander here. Put away those things and taste and see that God is good. Because he requires us to be good. And we can only be good if we're truly in Christ. You see, you can't do good before you are good. You must be good before you can do good. You know what I'm trying to say here? You must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must understand that he is good and he imparts his goodness to you. He gives to you his righteousness, but he makes us good by, by training us in various ways, of course. But you must be good before you can do good. You must be in the Lord Jesus Christ before you can do good. In other words, you have to be in Christ. In the parable, or the account there in, in 15, I guess not a parable, but when it talks about the vine and the branches, the illustration there, that, and, and it, Jesus said, apart from me you could do nothing. The fruitful vine, you must be in Christ. Apart from me you could do nothing. So God is good for his creation. God is good to his children. 
that we might be good, that we might do good, because that's what we're supposed to do. When you're there in verse 12 of this passage I read, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yes, we are to obey God and do what's right. But we fall short in many ways. Even our best efforts are tainted with sin. But we seek to honor God who gives us the grace to do it. To love others because he first loved us. To exercise that goodness to others who are in need and so on. God is good to his children. But you know, there's also another thought as I was thinking about this topic of the goodness of God. It's a vast topic, of course. You can look at many passages in the scripture speaking about the promise of God, goodness, and so on. But you know, think about it. God is good in all circumstances. He's good in all circumstances. Oh, you taste and see that God is good. He's blessed your soul and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're filled with joy because you know he's taken away your sins. You're washed of the rights of Jesus Christ. And he blesses you day after day. And you look to him and you thank him for the blessings that you have received from him. As we ought to thank him every day for the many blessings, for his goodness to us. Everything is going so well. But then trouble comes. That happens, doesn't it? Troubles do come into our lives. Certainly that happens as followers of Christ. Troubles do come. And for all people there can be troubles. There can be hard circumstances. Difficult things in our lives. We can suffer loss of loved ones. We can suffer illnesses. We can suffer the loss maybe of close friends because of relationships difficulties. Or we can be rejected by others, whatever it might be. The list can go on and on and on. And I'm sure each one of you here can identify something that can maybe trouble you. Maybe cause trouble. Even this morning, there might be a tough thing in your life. But remember, God doesn't change. God is still good. He's good in all circumstances. Oh yes, there's that that severity of God and that kindness of God. But even in the severity, he's good. He doesn't change. He changes not. He's good. God is good at all times. There's a little verse in Psalm 31 that spoke to me so many years ago, and I often think about it. It says in Psalm 31, 15, My times are in your hands. What's that mean? When you read that verse, my times are in God's hands. Well, I was speaking about an enemy who was attacking this, uh, the psalmist, and he says, my times are in your hands. It means difficult times. It means struggles. It means battles. At that time, I was facing a difficulty, and I didn't know which way to turn. And I read that verse, my times are in your hands. There's a comfort in that, isn't there? God is good. He watches over us. He's good to little children. He's good to the middle-aged. He's good to the old. He watches over you. He's good. My times. What times are you struggling with? What things are you struggling with? They're in God's hands. In God's hands that, oh yes, 
that you might know he's good. His goodness is with us. This morning I was just thinking about a passage in Deuteronomy. I think I'll turn there and read that. Just to help us understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say here. In Deuteronomy 8, there's a reference to the Israelites. Of course, you know how Israel was. They were up and down and not always obeying God. Same with the people of God. We cannot always obey God. But in Deuteronomy 8, remember what the, remember the Lord our God is saying here. And he says, I want to read verse, verse 2 and a few verses following. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, test you to know what's in your heart. That's why they're in the wilderness, to humble them. And there's nothing wrong with being humbled under the mighty hand of God. Indeed, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to test you, to see what's in your heart whether you will keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There it is. God's goodness in your tough times is that you depend upon him. He makes you, in a sense, depend upon him. We sang from that psalm, Psalm 119. In my afflicted, I went astray, but the Lord's law I kept. He, he was afflicted, yet he learned from the Lord. In our afflictions, we learn things. We're humbled. We struggle. We're hungry, but the Lord feeds us with the man from heaven. That's what it's about, you know. He refines us through the fire at times. Even though we go through the flames, they will not burn us up because the Lord our God will be with us. That's what's going on. In all circumstances, God is good. It goes on here and even mentions how good God is to those. In the following verse here, he says, you clothe, Your clothes did not wear out. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Then he goes on in verse 7, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and which you will lack nothing. Because God is good to his people. He is good in all circumstances. Oh, it hurts, yes. And it's hard to realize it. Maybe at the time you don't. Indeed, we don't always realize it. Affliction is painful. The Father's discipline in us, as we read in Hebrews and other places in the Scripture, that it can be painful. We might learn later on that it was good that we had that affliction. But we might not know it in this life. We get to heaven, we might not even care. But we can be assured that God is good. God is good. What more can we say about the goodness of God? He's good in all circumstances. He's good to his people. When you pass through the waters, Isaiah says, I'll be with you. I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Surely God is good. He who began a good work in us. It's a good work God is doing in his children. We'll carry to complete the day of Christ. He's at work in us. 
even through the hard providence in our lives, we be assured that God is good to his children. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Oh yes, Peter is calling on these here through their struggles to taste that God is good and keep tasting. The Lord is good. Are you a child of God today? I mean, have you really tasted that God is good? Do you read your scriptures? Do you, you know, when you, when you begin to taste that God is good, you want the Bible. It just happens. The Spirit's at work. You're born again. You need the Word. It blesses your soul. And, you know, you have a tough day, and you can sit down and read the Scriptures, and sometimes the message will come right to you. It might not always, but the Word is there to encourage us. God cares for all His creation. He cares for His people. He watched over everything. As the Creator, as I said, He's good. He feeds us. He feeds his animals. You know, even you think in, in, in Jonah there, you know, he's in Nineveh. He go to Jonah, escapes. You know, he goes to Nineveh, he gets there, and he preaches, and he sits under the tree, and things are not going. Jonah doesn't feel that good, and, and, and God says to him, have I not got 120,000 people here in Nineveh who don't know the right hand for the left? And he says, and many cattle. And many cattle. The Lord is good in everything, in his creation, in his sustaining all things, and especially in the salvation of your soul. He's good that we might be good as followers of Christ and bear witness for him that a light might shine to declare the excellency or the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, our God. God is good. And hope that I and we can really say that and believe it in our hearts to the glory of God and for his praise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled when we think about how good you are to us because we've not always been good. We've been rebellious. We've sinned. But we thank you for our Savior, Jesus we thank you that he came, he dwelt among us, and we bailed his glory, the glory of the begotten, full of grace and truth. And we can put our trust in him to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might go forth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might truly know God is good and do that which is good, we pray in Jesus' name.